Well, welcome to Redeemed Church Fellowship. We are going through right now the study of Genesis. And we're following Abraham and the life of Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 23. As we continue to study on how God was impacting Abraham's life, this man whom he chose to be the father of many nations, this man who was given a promise, a covenant, that through his seed, the world would be blessed, that many nations would come, so many people that the stars themselves would not be able to contain the number of how many descendants he had. And when we left off in our account of Abraham, we saw that he was faithful at times, very faithful and put to the test. Last week we studied how Abraham was tested by the Lord in offering his only son Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. And Abraham was faithful that if he was going to take Isaac to be sacrificed to the Lord, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. So he faithfully went forward. And just as he was about to complete this task in obedience, the Lord sent his angel and said, Abraham, Abraham, Stop, don't lay your hands on the lad. Now I know that you will be obedient to me, that you love me more. And Abraham's faith was proven. And what we see in this account is that God was using this as an illustration of what would happen 2,000 years later with Jesus Christ, where God was going to allow his only son, Jesus, to be sacrificed there on Calvary in that same mountain region, Mount Moriah. And because of this, we are made free. Perhaps it's a, it's a hard story to, to look at the story of Abraham and his test of taking his son all the way up to the altar, but we also look at what God endured as he saw his son Jesus Christ being put to the cross. So the Lord loves to use illustrations. He loves to give us prophecy in his word. And the story of the account of Abraham and his son Isaac is a great illustration of what Jesus would do for us And it was on that mountain when Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he said, my son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice, which he was true to do. And being that the Bible gives us these illustrations, a foreshadowing of what is to come. Tonight's study, we're going to take a look at themes related to marriage related to relationship, even death. And how God even uses the illustration of marriage 
as an example of what it is when we are devoted to him faithfully. So beginning now in chapter 23 of Genesis, let's look at verse 1. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, one thing I noticed is Sarah's age. She was 127 years old. Sarah was old. She had a full life. And in this lifetime, she was able to see Isaac for close to 37 years. We know that Isaac was actually anywhere between his late 20s and early 30s when Abraham offered him up as a sacrifice. Many times we see in the illustrations that it's a little boy, but Isaac was well into his manhood. And Sarah was able to witness her son grow. And the Lord allowed her to have this son Isaac, which his name means laughter. And there was much joy in their life. But Sarah, she passes now. And Abraham here, he begins to mourn the loss of his wife, whom he loved. So as she passes, he goes to these sons in Hebron, in Kerjath Arba, and he begins to ask for property that he might have a proper burial for her. In verse 5, And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. I note here that Abraham is known as a man of might and authority, even though he's in a foreign land. God had allowed him to have this favor amongst people to him who he was foreign. And in verse 7, Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land. And he spoke with them, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of the field. Let him give it to me at full price as property for a burial place among you. We see Abraham here, he wants no expense withheld. He wants to honor and remember Sarah because he had a, a, a deep love for her. It was his beloved. So he says, look, I, I want this as the burial ground and I want to pay for it. A full price, he says. And in verse 10, Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth. All who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land. 
saying, if you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. Now, what we're about to continue on in this portion of scripture is Abraham and this man named Ephron, who owns the cave, they begin to enter into a bargaining exchange. Now, in this culture, it was custom to show courtesy and respect that when you would offer something, you would many times offer it at a ridiculously low price or even for free. But it was also very courteous and respectful that whoever you were offering that item to, that they would be expected to counteroffer something of a more acceptable price. And so we are about to begin this bargaining. You see, there's going to be these offers and counteroffers. And it, it reminds me of nowadays, if somebody, for example, let's say you're planning a wedding and uh, somebody offers to do you a, uh, a kind gesture of either videotaping or uh, music or whatever it is for that wedding, and they offer to, to, to help you with this. And they say, oh, I'll do it for free. It's, it would be uh, exchangeable and courteous and respectable uh, bargain for you to say, okay, well, you know what? Hey, I, I want to bless you with, with this much. And it, it, it was a courtesy back then. And actually it was taken a little more seriously than that. There was a, a means of bargaining. And in verse 14 it says, And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So notice even in Ephron's rebuttal, he says, oh, well, look, just take it for free. But, you know, just so you know, it's worth 400 bucks if you wanted to, you know, pay what it was worth. And Abraham's like, full price, here you go. I want to buy the, the field at full price. And then in verse 17, so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, in the field and the cave which was in it, in all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that it is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Now it is historical to note that later on, not only was Sarah buried in this cave, but Abraham would also be buried in this cave. Isaac would be buried in this cave, and later on, Jacob would also be buried in this cave. So this cave has very historical value to it. There in the field of Mamre. And it was a special place. And now with the passing of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abraham 
knowing to look after his family. He's going to note the need in his son's life for a bride. So because of this, we get into chapter 24 as Abraham is going to search for a bride for Isaac. And there's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus does with his church in this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Now, interesting to note, this covenant that they would many times do back then. It's an interesting place for a man to put his hand under another man's thigh. You see this exchange of this cupping, so to speak, was very personal. And you were, both men would be giving a vulnerability towards each other. And it was this sign of trust that, look, we're going to make this covenant and fulfill it. And God forbid we should not fulfill it and break this covenant. Now, Abraham took the oldest servant of his house, perhaps knowing that Isaac trusted this oldest servant of the house, and said, look, I'm going to send you to the land of my family, that you might bring a wife for my son. He didn't want Isaac to be marrying any of the Canaanite women. And you think, why, why is that? Was he racist? No, he, he wasn't racist. The Canaanite women and the men, the Canaanites, they were a pagan culture. And Abraham did not want his son to marry with the men and women or to marry with the women who worshipped false gods. He didn't want his son to be unequally yoked. We ourselves as Christians, we are not to be unequally yoked. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, it reads this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God you see because we are the temple of the living God we are not to allow sin to enter into the temple of the living God. Ourselves, our bodies, our minds, 
So when we begin to fellowship in intimacy with unbelievers, we are affecting our, our spiritual walk. We're affecting our lives. Now that's not to say that we are to shut ourselves off from the world completely and be a hermit living in the mountains so that we would remain holy. No, we are to preach the gospel to the lost. We are to live in this world, but we are not to be of the world. We're to be lights to people. And how is the world going to hear the gospel without us preaching to them, without us showing our kindness and love in Christ to them? Now, we must be careful, though, because we see it a lot with relationships. When a man or a woman begins to fall in like with another man or woman, and the affection grows, but one of them is, is not walking with the Lord strong, and the other is, it's easy for that person who is strong to get pulled down. It's easier for them to get pulled down than it is for them to bring someone up to their level. And when I say their level, I'm not talking about of a, a prideful way. I'm not saying it in, a, in the sense of they're better. We're all sinners. But I'm talking about the closeness to the Lord Jesus, that relationship that should not be hindered. We can't have idols in our life. And I know this is a hard thing for, for some, especially if you are in a relationship right now with someone who is a non-believer. Now, let me also preface this by saying, if you got married and you guys were unequally yoked and you're married now, now that is the will of God for your life. God hates divorce. And the Bible teaches us that it's by the chaste conduct that many times the spouse is brought towards the Lord, the other spouse who doesn't believe. So because you're now, let's say even two, let's say there was a couple who got married and they were both unsaved, but one of them gets saved. The Bible teaches that the one who gets saved should remain in the marriage and just love and show the light of Christ towards that husband or towards that wife. See, God hates divorce. Divorce, especially when there's kids and family members involved, it's like you glue two pieces of wood together, and then when you separate those two pieces of wood, there's all these splinters left in the middle of it. There is that deep bond, that deep connection, and when it's ripped apart, there's ugliness and splinters all, all over. So relationships are a huge importance in the church because they could be some of the most powerful weapons, a family unit. And it could also be some of the worst and easiest to fall into terrible sins when you're not equally yoked. So Abraham, knowing all these things, desired that Isaac would have someone from his family who believed in the one true living God, who would follow after Isaac's leading 
in the worship of God. Now in verse 5, it says, And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So these are the instructions now. So the servant, kind of fearful, is like, hey, like, well, what if I go and the woman, she doesn't want to come back to get married to I, your son Isaac? Do you want me to go to the land of, of the Canaanites? And he's like, no. Again, a second time, you do not go to this foreign land to take a wife for my son Isaac. And I love how in verse 7 he, sends some, he says something. He says, look, God promised me that I was going to have descendants. So therefore, it says in verse 7, he will send his angel before you. And I'm reminded that when God has a will, a plan for our life, that he sends his angel before us to prepare the way that all things will work together for good, for that perfect will of God. And we can walk forward in this. God goes before us. He's omnipresent. We don't need to be afraid and worry about our plans failing when we trust that God has a plan that cannot fail. And so Abraham tells the servant, look, if the woman says no and you can't find one from there, you're going to be released from this oath, this covenant that we're making. And I'm not going to hold anything against you. And then in verse 9, it says, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hands. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And notice he's taking all this group with him. It wasn't just him and ten camels by himself. He's taking these ten camels to show where he's coming from, the type of family he's coming from. That when he asks for this woman's hand in marriage for Isaac, that she realizes that he's coming from a place of providence, of prosperity. Now in verse 11, it says, And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. Then the time when the woman go out to draw water. It says in verse 12, Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water. 
and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for me, appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, what we see in this account is the servant, he's in this place of, he really, really wants to bring back a wife for his master's son, Isaac. He's like, okay, like my master Abraham sent me on this mission and I need to accomplish it. So knowing that he needs the help of God to do this, he's smart to begin to pray. And he starts to pray, oh Lord God, just I'm coming to this well of water and all the women are coming out. God, just make it so that when I go and ask this woman for a drink of water that she would give me a drink and that she would also give my camels a drink. So he kind of puts this uh, fleece before the Lord, so to speak. This uh, test, I'll call it, of determining the will of God. Now this is an interesting point. The will of God. I was just having a, a, a conversation with a couple friends of mine about knowing when something is God's will in your life. You see, I caution Christians to take this account and then begin to try to mimic it fully. Because when we read this account, we are reading a historical document of what God did in this person's life. But this isn't the rule book of how to get a wife. This is just what happened in this man's life. But God is not a cookie cutter God. He works in so many different ways and God could work in a means like this. But one thing that we need to keep certain is our relationship with God on discerning his voice of knowing when he's telling you yes or no or wait or go or stop or no again. Many times there's this three things you would want to look for in determining the will of God, discerning his voice. Is number one, if an activity is sin, it's not of God. So if what you are praying about, what you are planning on doing is sinful, then it's not of the Lord. It's not his will for your life. Number two would be, is there even an opportunity or a door for whatever it is that you're praying and seeking, discerning God's will, is there a door or an opportunity for that to take place? Because if there's a door, then you might want to pray about perhaps taking a step through that door. And thirdly, there should be a piece of the Holy Spirit in this activity. You should be able to have peace with God in this. Because if this activity makes you lose that peace of God, then 
there might be striving going on in your life that there doesn't need to be. Now, this servant in particular was praying to the Lord and asked God that he would just show him in this miraculous way. So let's see what happens in verse 15. It says, And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. A virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little from water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down of her hand to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So I'm sure at this point the servant is just blown away by the accuracy of God fulfilling his prayer to the T. And this is a, a miracle of God's sovereignty where on one end he's working on the servant's heart and on the other end he has already been preparing Rebecca throughout her whole life to be this woman of character, this woman who when somebody asks her for a little water, not only does she give that person water, but also those who are with that person, his camels even. And so God was working on both ends in this case. A lot of times we see the relationship as a man and a woman when they are seeking each other. Many times they don't seek the Lord. But like a triangle, if they're both seeking God, eventually God gets them to that place where they intersect with each other. And he draws them together as they are drawn in to God. Now in verse 22, it says, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Now notice she is already seeing man like camels, gold, just he's putting it on her and he's like throwing all this jewelry at her. And then he begins to say, hey, like, is there a place in your, your father's house to lodge? Now, in this era, in this culture that at that time wasn't a big advance, it was actually hospitality uh, normally for you to have a special room for guests 
and travelers to come by to be able to stay there. Uh, nowadays, if somebody knocks on your door, we're usually hiding in the back room saying, shh, don't answer it, but a lot different back then. In verse 24, it says, So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Notice the servant. He's worshiping God. When we are blessed, may we worship the Lord. May we be hilarious givers when the Lord blesses us. May we thank God in every season of our life. And not just in the times of blessing. And may we realize that when God uses us, that it's him doing the work. The servant wasn't like, wow, man, I did it. I got the job done. I Mission accomplished. Star on my shoulder now. I, I'm, I'm fulfilled. No, he was saying, look, God, thank you for doing this. Realizing that it was God who got him to this place. It was God's grace and mercy, he said, and truth towards Abraham. And the servant is realizing that God is faithful in his promises, even to Abraham. He says in verse 29, Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban run out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now Laban, he's a man you're going to want to note in your Bible. Uh, we're going to read much more about Laban. And it is noteworthy to notice that the first thing Laban notices are the jewelry and the, the gold that Abraham's servant offers. And his eyes light up when he sees the gold. And he's like, oh yeah, let's bring this guy in. He's got money. Keep that in mind for later on. Now in verse 32, Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, Speak on. I do like how the servant saying, Look, wait, hold on. I came here to get a job done. Before you guys begin to bless me, let me first speak on this errand. And in verse 34, So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, 
silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. Now again, he's recapping everything that Abraham had ordered him to do and explaining this to Laban and explaining it to Rebekah. And in verse 39, and, and I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. So there has to be this fulfillment before he's released from this oath. So therefore, before he takes any blessings, he's making sure to get his point across. It says in verse 42, And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to the draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Now, don't let that be a, a verse for you of, oh, see, the Lord is telling me to, to test God in this way where next time... Uh, if I see this girl that I really like, Lord, and you just make a prayer, if she looks my way and says hi, that means that she's from you, God. No, we, we don't want to put God in this uh, bubble of, of tests like this. We, need, we want to be able to trust God, to wait on his timing, to know that he has someone for you, to know that God's plans for you are way better than your home plans for yourself. And God wants you to walk in that. He wants it more than you want it for yourself. And time and time again, we, we see that when you wait on the Lord, that it doesn't mean that you just wait and you do nothing. It doesn't mean you wait there in loneliness and you twiddle your thumbs and just pray and pray. But God many times will use that, that loneliness to draw you close to him. But then he allows us to, to focus on what he has given us already. I think it's so valuable that we take responsibility and care for those things that God has entrusted to us today. That we don't become lazy and slothful in what he has given to our care, our families, our schoolwork, our careers, our ministries. All these things are 
services and ministries given to us from the Lord. And how incredible will it be when the world begins to see men and women who fear God, who are sold out for God, men and women who hate sin, I would love to see this church in this season continue to flourish as it has been where we are refocusing our attention on God. May that never stop. May that continue. So in order to do that, we need to know God's voice. The same way this servant had discernment, and knowing that when he prayed that God would answer. Now in verse 45, he continues on with the account of what he just experienced. He says, but before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder. And said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave me the camels. She gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So here he gives them the ultimatum. Look, just let me know if this is going to to be real this is going to be serious he wasn't playing games and in verse 50 then laban and, and bethuel answered and said the thing comes from the lord we cannot speak to you either bad or good here is rebecca before you take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the lord has spoken i'm reminded that whenever we see a movement of the Spirit, just jump in it. Perhaps God is opening a door for you uh, with a relationship, with work, with school, a ministry. In any of those cases, when you see that door opening up, I would encourage you to jump in where the Spirit is moving with both feet. To have vision without boundaries for what God can do with all these things. So it says in verse 52, 52, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. 
Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. You see here, when God was moving the servant, he didn't want to delay in his obedience. You see, delayed obedience is disobedience. When God tells you to move, jump in it. Don't wait. Don't wait all tomorrow. Tomorrow. Don't be like the man who told Jesus, oh, I'll follow you. Uh, let me first go bury my father. Which in that time, was it was just a saying that people would use as a, a, a phrase of saying, of procrastination, of saying like, oh, I'll get to it, uh, you know, when pigs fly. That was a, it was this way because back then when they buried people, they buried them the same day and his father wasn't dead. And he said, let me first go and bury my father in the sense that like, hey, it's not going to happen. Don't be like that with the spirit. Don't be like that with God when he calls you. But be obedient right away. In verse 57, so they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Sometimes you wonder if they knew that what they're saying was going to come true. If they were saying this out of joy or if there was something deep down inside of them that as they said this that was proclaiming truth to them. That from Rebecca. And from Isaac's children would come many nations and would also come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus told his disciples that the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And the gates, the gates of hell will not prevail against us believers. There is a spiritual battle and we are more than overcomers because Jesus is on our side. Because he beat death. He beat the grave. He freed us from sin. It was through this marriage that God was allowing his eternal plan of salvation to be fulfilled. You see, this meeting between Isaac and, Re and Rebecca, it wasn't just a meeting uh, uh, of two people who were lonely and wanted to live happily ever after. This was a meeting that through this meeting would come the Savior of the world. God had ordained them to meet. And in that same manner, God ordains the marriages of his children that through the marriages, the Christian marriages, that we become 
these vessels of holiness, of righteousness in the world. And may we seek to protect that from everything the world is trying to pollute it with. Now it says in verse 61, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Ber Laharoi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. Notice what Isaac's doing. He's in the field meditating. He's just waiting on God. You know, he's not out searching for a wife. He's just focused on God, what God has been doing in his life, what God wants him to do. And suddenly he notices, he looks up, and he sees this group of people of camels coming. It says in verse 64, Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? She's like, who dat, who dat, who dat? And then the servant said, it is my master. She took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And we see this beautiful marriage right here take place. I do want to note that there was a holiness with her. She was a virgin. And this veil, she, as she saw Isaac out there in the fields, she then covered herself as a, as a means of purity before Isaac. And so then they had the marriage, it seems, pretty quick. And notice it didn't say that she became his girlfriend, that she became even his fiance. It was just, boom, she became his wife. And he loved her. And it is interesting to note that Isaac was comforted after the, his mother's death. That he had been going through some sorrow of the passing of his mom, Sarah. And he was discomforted and now the Lord was bringing something into his life, a new avenue of joy, spring in the desert, comfort. And that's what God does in our life. In this picture, what we have is a beautiful illustration of Christ and his church. The marriage picture is Jesus, the groom, and the whole church, everyone involved in the church, is this illustrative wife for Christ. And Abraham, being the father, sends the servant out to gather the bride for the groom. The servant is an illustration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws people into God's love. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin 
in our hearts, in our minds, to bring us to repentance so that we can be drawn to the groom, Jesus Christ, the husband. Perhaps that's a weird concept for a man to think of themselves as the bride because we're the church. It's an illustration. And this is the type of love that Christ used in it as an example, and it shows a deep, deep intimacy that God loves us deeper than the marriage love. His love for us, it's this agape love that cannot be affected by our mistakes. No matter how many times we fail, His mercy is new for us every day. It's not affected by our works. We can't earn His love. But the Holy Spirit draws us into this beautiful relationship with Christ. And there's all sorts of things in this world that want to destroy that relationship that we have with Christ. But I encourage us Christians, perhaps you have become distant in your relationship with Christ. Rekindle that fire. The Bible teaches us that as we draw near to God, He draws near to us. God is constantly wanting and desiring to pour His love and blessings out on us, but many times we turn our backs towards the love and the blessings. All we have to do is just stay in God's love, abide with Him, open ourselves up to God's blessings, turn away from sin, repent, from sin and allow the love of God to lead your life. Allow our sovereign God to work his miraculous works so that you may be drawn closer to Christ so that you may be his vessel, his temple, and that you may be in a loving relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Go before us, Lord, as we seek to honor you in spirit and in truth. Father, if there's anyone here who has become distant in their relationship with you, who has not trusted your will for their life, may they surrender their will now. If that's you, tonight and you would like to surrender your will to Christ, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Wash me and cleanse me by your son's blood. I accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If that's you uh, and you would like to reach out to us, please feel free to message us on Facebook. Feel free to reach out and text me, call us and continue this week just to share
the love that Jesus has shown you, the love that he has for your life. And may you go forward this week in his blessing.